Thanks for joining us today for the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. Season 3 has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I am joined by Greg Grossman. Greg, it's an honor to have you with us. It's great to be here, Jill. Thanks for having me. What is life like in Dallas today? Dallas is a, a great city to live in. Uh, great weather, comparatively speaking, since I I uh, lived uh, grew up in the in the Northeast, in the New York City area, where it's very cold. Uh, better climate here, and uh, it's a great city. Now, listen, I come from Montana, and the last time I was in Texas, there was the threat of snow, and everything shut down because there was the threat of snow. Is that what they do? Uh, yes. Actually, when there is snow here, they have learned to practice a lot of foresight. They get on the roads and they, they treat the roads and it depends, you know, if it's, they follow the weather with the advent of the Doppler and everything they were able to follow, uh, and, and, uh, really pre-treat the roads. And then of course to cancel, you know, schools, yeah. um, you know, in order to prevent any, uh, that was a really, really fate. There was a, f- a fatal accident last year. Um, on one of the freeways here because of the, the cold, the, the ice. So, they, they practice foresight and prepare rather well for this inclement weather. Interesting. Well, Montanans kind of, you know, make fun of the rest of the world when they, you know, practice snow precautions because we don't have that option. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I, I went to school in Vermont, so they lived with snow up there. They, you know, they had snow tars and we could deal with black ice. And here, you know, it, it, if you're not used to that, uh, you know, it, it could be a tricky thing. So. Definitely. Well, hey, I'm going to have you introduce yourself just a little bit and tell us a little bit about you and your work and what you do. Thank you, Jill. I will. Yes. Well, I'm a uh, bivocational chaplain. Bivocational means I work in a paid vocational ministry job. I work for Marketplace Chaplains in the Dallas Division, and I work several other jobs to supplement my income. Uh, In addition to being a bivocational chaplain, I'm also an adjunct professor at Louisiana Baptist University and Seminary. I support the the Christian Counseling Department, the Dean of uh, Christian Counseling. I teach Christian Counseling classes and Christian Life Coaching classes, and I'm also the founder of... an owner of a life coaching company called Beyond Perseverance. And I provide Christian life coaching. I'm a certified biblical life coach, which is a Christ-centered uh, perspective on human nature. And then also provide uh, what's called uh, life breakthrough coaching, which is geared more towards the secular population of businesses. And that has a change model. It's not biblically centered, but it has a change model. Uh, I'm also an author. I just recently published a book through 
uh, Wiffenstock publishers through resource publications, their nonfiction imprint called be uh, called Times of Perseverance, Hope and Healing on the Battlefields of Life. And I'm also an athletic philanthropist. I'm training for some duathlon so I could raise money for people in need. Awesome. Well, you are a busy man. So in, in school as a minister, I took a Christian counseling class and I quickly learned as a minister that that class was not enough to prepare me for life as a minister. <laughs> Do you run into those challenges of trying to fit in uh, enough content to equip students for that kind of work without being able to uh, do too much. Well, yeah, it, it is a balance. And I, you know, when I have my classes, I, I pray for the students. I always pray for them. Uh, and, you know, it is a balance because many of these students are in ministry already. Uh, they're, they're working full time. They're going to school. They have families to support. So it, it, it is a it is a balance. Um, but it's important to integrate um, the the head knowledge with the heart knowledge. You must yes. be able to, yes. there must be a marriage of the two at seminary and definitely in ministry. You know, you're not, people, people, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about your upbringing. You mentioned being raised in the Northeast. What mm -hmm. was kind of exciting about it and what was confusing about it? Well, growing up uh, in the New York City area, uh, I really enjoyed all the activities. Uh, you know, I went to the Barnum and Bailey Circus. My parents took me to that. I went to Radio City Music Hall because people know of the Rockettes, but they would have Sunday matinees. They'd have movies there. My parents would take me there. I'd go to a lot of the museums. My, my dad expected me, my parents expected me, more my dad, to replicate this type of lifestyle, you know, and I, that didn't really affect me when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, but when I got up there to get, you know, graduate high school and go to college, you know, and, and go out and work, uh, they expected me to replicate what, what they had done. And mm -hmm. my father was a successful businessman. So like, as I said, it was expected of me to go into the family business. Uh, and that was just an expectation. And that seemed to be the expectation of many uh, families, at least Jewish families, um, and, and maybe maybe Christian families. I, I can't speak for them, but I know in in, the, in coming in, a, in growing up, you know, sixties and seventies, they you know they wanted their children to you know get a carry education. on. Yeah, if you can go on and and be an accountant or a lawyer, I didn't have the grades to do that. So my father started working for his dad and my, my uncle, and they expected us to do the same. Uh, but I didn't have a desire for that because I wasn't led to pursue that it just wasn't an interest to me. Yeah, definitely. I understand that. Um, so you were raised in a reform synagogue? Yes, Jill. I was raised um, from age five up to age about age 13. Um, age five, I, I went to, you know, to, to, to school there and, you know, they, I I was sent there, you know, for Jewish education. And then I started going, maybe when I was about seven or eight, I started going to Sunday school every Sunday. And uh, it was just going, taking several classes and learning about Jewish education and, and different things related to Judaism. And then at around age 11-ish, I, you know, for a couple of years, I went to, um, I attended Hebrew school after school, um, you know, in the afternoons and learned basic Hebrew all the way up to preparing me for my bar mitzvah, which was 
to the boy, it's the bar mitzvah. To the girl, it's bat mitzvah. And we were being prepared to be called to the Torah. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. And so after that, I, uh, I, you know, my, my mother offered me to, you know, go for my confirmation, go a couple more years. I, I didn't want to do it. And, um, you know, I continue to observe the, the, the holy days, Jewish holidays. Uh, but, but as I got older, I, you know, I, I, I strayed away from, from, from Judaism. What is the significance of the bar mitzvah to a Jewish boy? Um, well, the bar mitzvah is, you know, is this means bar mitzvah means son of the commandment. And it's, it's, um, it's like a rite of passage. You know, the, the, the boy is, um, is the bar mitzvah for the boy, the bot for the girl, but the, the, the boy's being called up to the Torah. He's called up to, uh, you know, to, to read the, the parashat in Hebrew. That's the portion, the Torah portion of, of that Shabbat. Uh, and then you read the Haftorah portion, which is, uh, the extra, uh, which is the um, means conclusion, and you usually get that from the prophets and and kings and chronicles. And so, I, 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 it was a very pivotal event for a Jewish male to be bar mitzvah because that was his or her for the bot. That was their rite of passage. That was their coming into maturity, more spiritually and even emotionally and even educationally, because it was it was. Um, rooting the Jewish boy and girl in Judaism so that they can grow tall in their faith and be able to pass that on to their children so they can be more about mitzvah. Hmm. And it was expected of, of me to do that, at least in my family. Yeah, interesting. So um, you mentioned celebrating the Jewish holidays. What holidays do you observe? Well, when we were growing up, uh, we observed the High Holy Days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is a Jewish New Year. And then Yom Kippur. Uh, we were reform. You know, we didn't keep kosher. In the Hebrew, is kashrut. We didn't keep kosher. But uh, we did that and, and, and uh, you know, all the other fest- festivals, you know, the Purim and some Torah. And then there was, of course, Passover, uh, where we had the Seder. And my family would, every year when my parents were married, they, they divorced. Uh, when I was about eight, eight and a half, but uh, we would get together every year with with family and have a sit down seder, and that was a traditional thing that we would do. So those were the holidays that we would we would celebrate, uh, and then of course um, you know weddings and other bar, uh, you know other, right. other events that we we would we would celebrate. Uh, my mom and I, we would my mom, myself, my brother, we would go to um, um, the uh, service the Onig Shabbat service, which was a Friday night. My mom worked on Saturdays. Uh, you know, she worked to support us. She was a single parent, but we went Friday nights and, you know, attended the service at the synagogue regularly. You know, um, Seder, for those who have never participated in one, has mm-hmm. such sacred, deep meaning in every mm-hmm. little piece of it that celebrates um, that that celebrates uh, Christ. And I, I to me, um, I think there's something missing in the Christian culture that we don't do something similar to that to celebrate all of God's story. That's well said because. Uh, I couldn't appreciate that when I was growing up. You know, you don't know what you don't know. But as I came up in the faith and came back to my Jewish roots uh, while I was in graduate school uh, and began to see the connection, 
and uh, began to, I was, in fact, I was invited by a, a local pastor to, to do the Christ for the Passover at his church. And, and the significant, you know, he wanted me to teach his people, you know, the significance and, 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 and the Jewishness of their, of their Mashiach, of their Messiah, of Jesus. And they wanted to see that. And, and I was able to teach from scripture and, um, you know, the, the church uh, is hungry for Messianic Judaism. Um, and so many areas of Christendom of the church are embracing it. And some just are not interested. Uh, but yes, they, they, they are very closely aligned when you look at the, um, the, the Last Supper and you look at the, 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 the slaying of the Paschal Lamb, you know, and they, well, they came to Jerusalem, throngs of people came when Passover was happening. So, so I'm, I'm curious, um, my stepdad was Catholic and mm-hmm. when he became Christian, he felt like all of a sudden, all of scripture became alive to him and it became a living word and it became, um, something that was just living and breathing. Did you have that feeling, um, going from, um, being a, a Jewish, a Jewish man into understanding the Christian faith more? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I saw, you know, when I came up, you know, cause I experienced, you know, the charismatic part. And so it was a very demonstrative, uh, right. and then, and, 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 and I went through that and, and that was just a phase, uh, you know, as I'm new to the faith, but I began to, see that there were a lot of other components. There was a lot of what we what I learned in graduate school is there were a lot of spiritual disciplines. You know, there was a lot of being still before the Lord and 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 really being still and really praying and 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 praying to God and then praying for others. Um, you know, and there was that 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 um you know, you, you were inter- interceding for others. You were, you were praying for yourself, for your immediate family. Uh, and then there was also the element from Philippians 4, 6, the thanksgiving part. There was, you know, that, you know, be, do not worry, fret, or have any anxiety about anything. What are we supposed to do if we're not going to fret or worry or have any anxiety? <laughs> Everything. What are we going to do? We're not going to get stressed. That No, the Bible tells us, Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, tells us, he says, do not worry, fret, or have any anxiety. What are we going to do? He says, with prayer and supplication, that's with asking, with thanksgiving. Yes. Just to pray and ask? No, he says, there's got to be a bridge with thanksgiving. So as you're praying and you're asking, thank the Lord when you start thanking, you know, then you then you start, you're, you're, you start you're, your breathing starts to slow down. You start to get focused. It does something to your soul. And it comes full circle. Yeah. 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 So you say that your mother helped to instill in you a sense of being proud of being Jewish. How did she do that? My mother, my mother went through a very difficult divorce with my father. And it was at that time, uh, some Jewish women uh, who she knew invited her to a Hadassah meeting. Hadassah is the Women's Zionist Organization of America. Um, um, they invited her to the meeting. She attended. And then not that long after... Um, my mom got very involved in the group and got reconnected with her because they were a philanthropic group, very connected with Israel and the causes related to Israel and here uh, in the United States. And so it was at that time that my mom was asked to, they voted for her to be the president of the group. And my mom not only became the president of Hadassah, but my mother was invited to Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, to Israel to attend the um, 
rededication of Mount Scopus in 1975. And um, that's the Mount Scopus, the hospital there. And she went and they rededicated that. It was a big ceremony. She went to Teddy Collick's house, who was the mayor of Jerusalem at the time, and went there. And and um, my mother my mother was such an incredible role model because she didn't have that real religious Judaism. But she, when she got divorced from my father, she wanted her kids to have that. And she not only wanted them to have it, which we did, she wanted to model it herself. And she ended up doing that in a situation where some Jewish women who wanted, knew she was going through a tough time, took her in under their wing, took her into this meeting, mentored her. And now they gave her something where she was embracing, um, you know, her Jewish roots in all regards. She was modeling that. And so now uh, that years later, when, you know, looking back on, 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 on that experience, which was a lot of years ago, late in the seventies, um, I can see how that really, uh, provided a wonderful foundation of Jewish values and values to give back to others. I mentioned earlier, I'm a philanthropist, an athletic philanthropist. I believe that was very much inspired by my mother because my mother's group gave back. They gave back to Israel. They gave back to others in need, um, you know, and that was what they stood for. And so that spoke to me and it speaks volumes to me now in my life and my ministry. And the power of community. The power of, of having other people surround you, definitely. So I'm going to switch veins here so we can sure. um, keep going in the conversation. But you have had some run-ins with traumatic brain injuries. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was a precocious kid. So there was one day I <laughs> I decided to ring the doorbells and run down the stairs and uh and I did that and I, I turned, you know, I was running around. It was, it was exciting for me, you know? And so I, I turned the corner of, uh, uh, on the stairwell and the, and the, the handle was wooden and I grabbed it and it was split in half. And I, I, I lurched forward, ended up uh, laying, getting on the, uh, hitting the floor my head slammed on the floor. My mother was rushed home from work, you know, and they called her and I'd sustained a concussion, um, and then fast forward, probably about 17 years, uh, I was jogging. Actually, yeah, I was jogging. And I made the mistake to uh, jog with traffic and not against it. So other cars would see me. And so uh, I had my Walkman on. I was a believer and listening to praise and worship music and ran into you know traffic in a car clipped me from behind and I was seriously injured to, uh, critically injured. I lost a lot of blood, had a head injury, uh, you know, where, where, uh, it was a closed head injury, but I had, you know, lots of blood in two areas where I had stitches in my head. And then I, I shattered two bones in my leg. Mm. Uh, and so that's what happened there. And then fast forward at age 28 to, um, you know, to about 11 years ago. And I was, uh, uh, actually at a job site at one of my jobs and, it was a new construction site. And I was walking around and I inadvertently walked into a wood beam. Didn't see it. I ended up getting a, a, a somewhat of a mild concussion from that. It wasn't a TBI. Uh, I recovered. And then not long after that, I was getting ready to go to a sales meeting at my job. And I wasn't paying attention. I didn't fail to yield the right away. And a car got me in the door and hit me so perfectly. In fact, I wrote that in my book in the chapter, The Perfect Hit, because it was. And I just... My, my car uh, turned around one way and it hit the accelerator and ended up, my head ended up going into the, into the panel of the, of the door. And um, 
you know, I ended up learning that I had, I, I had post-concussion syndrome. I had to go see a neurologist and the doctor told me from all the head injuries that I had, uh, had, had, uh, you know, caused this increased the probability of developing what's called post-concussion syndrome. Those are, uh, symptoms that can happen after a concussion and they can last for a long time. What kind of symptoms? Well, sensitivity to noise was the first thing. Um, I had vertigo, very bad vertigo, you know, where um, my first bout, I was sitting in a restaurant with some friends from Sunday school and the room just starts spinning around. So I had those bouts and then there was depression and the depression kicked in and my neurologist told me just from, from the jolt I took in my head, you know, the, the whole, uh, my whole, uh, everything was all compromised. And so it caused depression and, um, after the accident happened, I had, in, had a difficult time walking and talking. There was a situation I wrote about in my book where I had had a tough time. Uh, and all that was related to the, the trauma that I had sustained. Uh, but the post-concussion syndrome uh, was something that had followed, you know, after I had that traumatic. It was a traumatic brain injury, and it took several weeks to heal from that. And I did uh, have a healing from the Lord with that because um, I had learned earlier on as coming up as a Christian, you know, to embrace scripture. And I found a couple of verses of scripture from a, uh, a minister who was healed and uh, found that one of those verses is Mark eleven twenty four. This minister was healed by Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have them. Well, I was at an anniversary party for my in-laws. They, I think it was their 50 something wedding anniversary and everyone was in the room. It was too loud. And I went in and I started having a vertigo and I went into lay down in the, in the church. The lights were off. I lay down on the pew and uh, laid on my side and the tears were strolling down my cheeks. And I started to think about that verse of scripture and from that minister who was healed and um, said, what's for everything you desire? Well, I desire for this vertigo to be gone. I desire to be well. Uh, you mean I've got to actually think that that I'm well, even though my brain is saying otherwise. So whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive. I had to, you know, believe that my brain was working fine, and so I I did just that, and it wasn't that long after that because healing could be instantaneous, it could be a right. process, right. it could be, but uh, the vertigo went away, and it never came back. Went back to the neurologist. My blood pressure was a healthy one sixteen over you know, uh, you know, over, over, over 80 or 78. And so I, I was healed That's uh, through faith in God's word. That's great. That's great. So then you had some uh, tragedy happen in your life. Tell me about your brother's car accident. Yeah, my brother, my brother was married at the time, had a 16 month old baby. I was up at school and my brother was uh, driving to work. It was inclement weather, and he, he had a he had your plane had a head-on collision with another driver. Um, my brother was crit- critical injured, different situation than my situation. I mean, we were both critical injured, but my brother had more life-threatening critical injuries. I mean, other than his sternum being broken, my brother my brother had um, brainstem damage. He had hypoxia, mm-hmm. deprivation of oxygen to his brain, and so my brother. Um, laid in, a, in an ICU with 104 fever. And, and he was, you know, he was in pretty bad shape. We weren't sure he was going to make it. Then when he did come out of it, then he got transferred to a head injury hospital and he was there for several years. Uh, and um, at that point, my whole family, my mother, my father, and, and my, my mother and my father, 
and myself, my mother and father, and myself, we, we, we knew we, we, we had a death. We lost our brother. My brother would never be the way he was before. Mm-hmm. So there was that grief that happened in uh, 1988. And so my brother uh, was severely brain injured uh, and his accident played a role in bringing me to the Lord. How so? Well, I started to wonder about, um, you know, what had happened, and uh, and I was so devastated emotionally, and so you know, I cried so many tears. The Bible talks about wept, you, you, you wept sore. You know, there was just no more tears, and and what was great for me is I had a lot of support. I had a counselor up at university who helped me immensely. I had friends. Um, I had the gift of writing, so I was able to write. You know, and uh, but deep down, like the psalmist, I was questioning why, why, why. I couldn't get that answer. I didn't have that answer. I was going through some grieving, and I was healing. I was talking to a mental health professional, but um, it really was. Um, it really was a um, matter of God's timing. When I graduated school, I was ready to go to graduate school for mental health counseling, and. I wanted to go on to school. It energized me. It helped me when my brother had his ax and I was getting ready to go back anyway. And so, you know, I was burnt out with school and I couldn't, couldn't really realize that. Uh, I just had to keep going. And here I am leaving Vermont, a safe place, you know, where I lived for a number of years, work with a counselor and it was a safe place. I did very well with my undergraduate degree. And now I'm going to a strange land. I'm going to a new place. <laughs> now my comfort zone. That's exactly where God wanted to be because I went to the pool, rented a room uh, in, in an apartment complex, and I was at the pool, and I had a little ra- little uh, radio stereo with me there at the pool, and I heard a radio minister, and he was saying, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. That was the first verse I heard. Wow. Felt like I was drinking cold water on a hot, hot summer day. I started to get quenched deep in my spirit. Then he cited Proverbs 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching the inward parts of the belly. And so uh, if God's going to lead you, you know, he's going he's to lead you by your, by your spirit. And I started to hear something I had never heard. So I continued to listen. I ordered their monthly magazine. I ordered tapes and a Bible. And I began to now be on this journey of learning about something I was never taught. And I even began to question, God, how, how can a Jew believe in Jesus Christ? I, 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 if you stop to think about it, you talk yourself right out of it. I, but I didn't do that. I was led by my spirit. I didn't tell my dad um, about all this. And you know, and um, when I had my accident, I did ask my father to bring my Bible and my sermon tapes. And you know, he brought me everything to the hospital. But my father was very adamant against my faith. He wanted to do what was best for me, but he was very uh, open about telling me that. But I stayed true to God and I stayed true to his word and I studied his word and got it firmly fixed, not just in my head, but I got it in my heart. And so, you know, when I got hit by that car, I was saved already. I, you know, I, I recited the sinner's prayer, Romans 10, 8, 9, 10. And um, I should have bled to death on that road, but God had other plans. I didn't see it when I was going through it. Uh, and even months afterwards, but when I look back in retrospect, I can see how God was leading me to his son and he saved me spiritually and physically and raised me up. He healed me and didn't mean I wouldn't, wouldn't have any other challenges. I had those head injuries, but I came, went to him. He healed me. He restored me for service. 
and I'm very thankful. I think the graciousness of God is so overwhelming and the, the goodness of, of his timing um, is incredible and, and mm-hmm. something that we don't understand. And in the economy of God, there's things in the balance that we don't understand, but he definitely um, weighs out and measures and says, now is, now is a good time for you to know who I am. So I love that. So um, you are a coach. What kind of a coach are you? I hold two dual certifications as a biblical life coach and a life breakthrough coach. I'm a certified biblical life coach and a life breakthrough coach. A certified biblical life coach um, views uh, my work is with Christians, with believers, Masonic Jews too. uh, And they view the human, human nature, human condition through the lens of the Bible. You know, that man is a sin, man is, man is sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, the wages of sin are death, but the, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. So um, that's how I view the human condition and, 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 and the human nature. Man cannot save himself. He cannot save himself. It's a gift of God. Let's say man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And if he wants to be saved, like I said, he, he repents of his sins. He confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 were my verses that I came up with. Said, if, if you should confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, thou, thou will, will be saved. And the resurrection, as my former pastor, Dr. Wilson, would say, the resurre- resurrection changed everything. Absolutely. So um, that is what I do as a biblical life coach. Um, And as a life breakthrough coach, it's geared towards the secular population. Someone who's not a believer, they just are stuck at this place in their life and they want to get from where they're at to and move from where they're at because they're stuck to where they'd like to be. And um, I use a change model, but it's not Christ centered. And I work with individuals and I'll work with businesses in in doing that. So that's the difference between the two. I hold two dual certifications, which enables me to work with believers and also with atheists, agnostics, because I'm just, it's the way I'm gifted. I'm gifted at working with all kinds of people. So God has enabled me to, you know, to, to do that with both of these. What is your most, what is your favorite thing about coaching? What I like doing, the one thing I love about coaching is is that I can uh, I can ask open ended questions and challenge their. If I'm working with a Christian, I'm challenging their thinking while stimulating their faith in Christ. So I ask them an open ended question, you know, um, and and it gets them to think. And I'm not telling them anything, and I'm listening eighty percent of the time, as uh, Doctor Collins would say from his textbook, Christian Life Coaching. He mentioned coaches uh, listen 80% of the time and they're doing 20% of the talking. So, um, so I, I love just being able to challenge them with something and then they are challenged with something they never really considered. And then they begin to think about it and not just in their head, but in their heart. And then they begin to see what they need to do, what they haven't been doing. And it was all based on me asking the appropriate open-ended questions at the proper time. Right. Right. I love how in coaching and consulting, the puzzle pieces just kind of fit together. It's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see. So recently you added mental health education to your resume. What inspired you to do that? Well, 
when my parents went through their divorce, I worked with a counselor. He helped me immensely. Uh, and uh, he motivated me to go back to school. He inspired me to go back to school. And then when my brother had his accident, which I shared earlier, I worked with the with the with the uh, university psychologist there. And, um, you know, I was well read in psychology and counseling and philosophy. And, and, and I wanted to go on and not just study the, you know, the stuff on, on, a, on a theoretical, level, but I wanted to work with people. And so um, it was there that I I had. Um, I, I, I had found a, uh, a, a program and, um, you know, wanted to pursue some graduate work, not in clinical psych, uh, and not in, but it was in mental health counseling. And that, it was, a, it was a, it was a great opportunity for me to be able to, um, study and, uh, train and to be able to work with people. And so that's who inspired me initially to do that. And I went down to South Florida to pursue that program is when I had my accident. So how has that enhanced your uh, consulting? You mean my coaching stuff? Well, I'll tell you, um, yeah. Um, I believe I've gone full circle, you know, uh, theologically and emotionally. I mean, when I was studying psychology, I studied my, my, my orientation was more psychoanalytic, psychodynamic. That's what I was used to in, in counseling and therapy. Uh, and like the other uh, areas of, of branches of psychology. Um, but then when I got became a Christian and began able to study the scripture and look at look at people and life and human nature through the scripture, uh, I was able to now have a deeper appreciation for both the human and spiritual condition of people, which I had never had years ago. I had the human condition, but I, but God was saying, I'm not finished yet. Got some more for you to learn. And so that's enabled me to appreciate the human and spiritual condition. And then to pray, I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, where can I serve and use these gifts and skills that you've given me? And that's where the coaching had opened up. Uh, I learned about the coaching through my classes at Trinity Theological Seminary. I was an MDiv student in pastoral ministry. I took a, a, a spiritual disciplines class and a mentoring class. And those were the two classes that just really brought everything home. We used Dr. Collins's textbook there. I've used it uh, uh, in teaching uh, from that textbook at LBU. And so that that really brought everything together. So I, I wanted, at that point, I pursued a Christian life coaching program. I prayed about it. I looked around, shopped around, and was able to do that. And so now that everything was starting to come together, and presently now, after a lot of prayer, you know, God has birthed on my heart to work with pastors and their staff members. Many pastors get so overwhelmed and, you know, want to burn down, want to leave the ministry and the colleagues too are, are challenged. So that's just one area, one gift where God has been leading me, um, you know, to work with people. So that's all integrative to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it. So tell me a little bit about your book. The book is called Times of, per- of Perseverance, Hope, and Healing on the Battlefields of Life. Tell me about it. Yes. Uh, this book is a memoir. It's an autobiographical narrative chronicling my survival from personal family traumatic brain injury. The brain injury of my brother, he's the subject of the book, and my head injuries. Um, and But it also documents my coming to faith in Christ as a Reformed Jew. Kept a lot of journal entries throughout the years. Uh, when my brother had his accident, and I wrote about this in my book, you know, I, I kept a, a, I wrote a journal and I actually prayed to Jesus on that airplane. 
you know, and no one taught me that, but uh, I saved all those journal entries and something on the inside, I believe it was God, to write that down. So they were written in pencil. I transcribed them in a pen. And then years later, like 15, 20 years later, all the pencil was all, it was all smudge. It was like ice cream that melted on a hot summer day. But I got all that written down. And it wasn't until uh, I had my accident where I had the post-concussion syndrome where I got hit by the car, um, where I was standing by my door in, in my house. And I said to my wife, Val, I said, I'm going to write about this. And I was going to do it. You know anything about publishing, even though I had my degree in communications and can write pretty well, but I didn't know anything about it. So there began the journey of researching self-publishers and publishers. And um, it was at that point that I uh, had to come to terms with this was just not the time. I during my accident, I, I wrote all my journals. I thought I was I was gonna embark upon this. I even started to start writing a, a draft and didn't get too far. I put it down uh, because a few about a year and a half later, graduate school opened up and I pursued my studies while working, was very, very busy, um, went on to get further schooling to finish my doctorate. And was when I got out, uh, it was in the early fall and something on the answer got to, to me, spoke to my heart. You need to, you need to. You need Now's to the time. Now, yeah, yeah. But where I was researching at that time, a lot about publishers and self-publishers, you know, both, you know, have different things they offer, but I looked under places that most publishers, they don't accept unsolicited manuscripts. So I found a half a dozen of them that did. And I got all rejections for all variety of reasons. The reasons were it just wasn't the right place and on the right genre, what have you. But Whiff and Stock had agreed to accept my uh, manuscript. And so I have several friends who have published through Whiff and Stock. What's that? I have several friends who have published through Whiff and Stock. That's wonderful. Wonderful to hear that. They're a wonderful publisher. They were very supportive from, of me, and uh, and so I I actually embarked upon doing that uh, and got, and figured fe- February I signed the contract. Then COVID hit in March. Uh, everything was shut down. I lost my job, and my mother uh, uh, had had GI issues all over life. She had some. She had uh, had an experience with GI bleeding before, but she had it again. She had to get a blood transfusion at a, at a hospital. Um, and then had to go back again. She was continuing to bleed and was right when COVID broke out. Um, my mother's friend had said to her, you know, Lee, you don't look too good. You, you need to go to the hospital. So it was that point my mom agreed to go. My mom was pretty stubborn, but she went. And um, I called the hospital and, you know, I spoke to her Friday night and, you know, she wasn't feeling well. I, I, call, I called her Saturday and she was in ICU with 102 point something fever. I let her rest, get some rest. I called the following day and um, the person said, didn't, didn't they call you? And I never got a message. Um, I believe they called my mother's number, uh, you know, and uh, they didn't have my number. Or I believe they had my number, but they, they, they inadvertently uh, tra- uh, reversed the numbers. Because we asked him, what number did you have? So um, I'm talking to the doctor. Um, she says, hold on. Let me let you speak to the doctor. So, um, you know, and uh, the doctor comes on and uh, begins to tell me everything that happened with my mother and said, if you didn't bring her to the hospital that day, she would have passed away at home. And I said, and she starts giving me all the details. And I stopped her and I said, doctor, 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 how's my mother? She paused and said, she passed away. Mm. That moment. I, I didn't, I was in shock. Um, I thanked her and, you know, f- she explained to me everything they tried to do. She had tested positive for COVID. Her lungs were so decimated and overwhelmed by the virus. 
Um, and so um, I got off the phone and I just broke down into tears with my wife. And the doctor said she'll have the, the assistant medical director call me, uh, you know, to talk with me. So that person did. Um, and I followed up with them. Uh, but my mother passed away. And so it was that point um, I already made a commitment with my manuscript. And I, I, I said to my wife, I need to take a break. I'm in no position. My wife's father had, had just went on hospice about a week, several days before. And four days after my mother passed, uh, my father-in-law passed away. So we, we had two deaths of parents within four days. Wow. So how long did it take you to get back to the manuscript? Um, it not, uh, I, I asked them for an extension for August and was able to get it in. And, uh, but in that time, in that time, I finished the last chapter. I was going over everything or getting ready to finish everything up. I got everything done. And then God spoke to my heart. You need to write a postscript about everything that happened with your mother. And you're not only giving her a voice, which I'm thankful I did. You're giving a voice to a wounded humanity who's struggling with COVID right now and everything else. Yes. He needs to hear about the Savior. He needs to hear about there's hope and healing, you know, hope, encouragement and healing. Um uh, so uh, what I did was I, I I wrote the postscript and I you know got it submitted and worked with the uh, with the, the editor and the typesetter and uh, it was just published this July twelfth uh, this past summer. That's exciting. That's exciting. And where is it available at? The book is available on Amazon. You can Google search it, but if you go on Amazon uh, in the subject, just type in Grossman Perseverance. Type that word Perseverance slow because that's a that could that could be a tough word. <laughs> that's but, a landmine. <laughs> Yeah, I've done it. I've typed it wrong, but uh, but Grossman Perseverance, or just put Times of Perseverance, P-E-R-S-E-V-E-R-A-N-C-E, and you scroll down a few, you'll see my book there. It comes in a, a paperback or hard copy that is available on Kindle, and you can order it from Amazon, and if you go down, you can read a little bit of the product description, a little bit of what I shared here on this podcast, and a little bit about my background. Great. Well, Greg, it has been an honor to talk to you and um, inspiring and your um, knowledge of scripture and knowledge of people has um, just made my made my heart happy. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome, Jill. Thank you so much for having me on your show. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.